Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. Can anybody testify that God's faithful? Amen. That he's faithful. Amen. He never said we wouldn't go through the valley, but he did say that he's our shepherd. Amen. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil because he's with us. Amen. Amen. I think of one area in the scripture where David had to encourage himself in the Lord. And there are those times, but I'm sure thankful for the body of Christ where we don't have to encourage ourselves, but we can find somebody around us. Amen. We can find somebody that will lay a hand on our shoulder and pray for us. Could we take just a moment right now? Could you pray for your neighbor? Could you find somebody around you that you could pray for? You don't have to know everything they're going through. Amen. In fact, God can quicken to you. God can speak to you right now that word of encouragement that they need to hear. Come on. I I know you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Come on, but you don't have to fear evil because the great shepherd is with you. Hallelujah. You may be faced with your enemies, but he's able to prepare a table before you right there in the presence of your enemies. Hallelujah. While the enemy is coming against you, God can bless you where your cup is running over. Hallelujah. His goodness and mercy will follow you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for the strength that is in the body of Christ. Lord, we thank you, God, that your blood flows through the body. God, that your mercy flows through the body, that your grace flows through the body, that everything we need, God, flows through the body. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. I I, I started the service off and we lifted a few of our prayer requests. I do, I do think given the season that we're in right now in our world, all that's going on over right now in the Middle East, amen, we have to understand Israel is a time clock. Amen. When you want to know where are we at on the, the time scale of the return of the Lord, the Bible says look to Israel. Amen. And what we're seeing going on right now, I believe is ramping up for the coming of the Lord. Amen. I, I believe it's clear in Scripture. All the things that we're seeing happen about didn't just happen. The Bible told us they were coming. Amen. And I believe as a, as a church, we need, to, we need to prepare ourselves for harvest because Jesus is coming soon. And I believe there's going to be a great harvest before he returns. Amen. Amen. So, but I do, I think it would be fitting that we spend a moment in prayer for what's going on over there. Amen. That God would have his hand upon Israel. That God would, have, we, we don't want any people, innocent people to die. Amen. Whether it's Israelites or otherwise, we don't want innocent people to die. But we need to pray for God's hand to be upon it. The Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen. So I want us to join together right now. Lord, we lift up. Lord, what's taking place right now in the Middle East. God, we pray right now for Israel. God, for the peace of Jerusalem. In the name of Jesus, God, we recognize, Lord, that Israel is still your chosen people. 
God, we realize, Lord, that what happens in that nation, Lord, is going to impact the rest of the world. And we pray right now, Lord, that you would, God, just bring peace into that situation. We pray, Lord, and we know that your will is going to be done. But God, we pray for innocent lives right now, Lord, the, all of the hatred and uh, vitriol that is being stirred up right now. We pray, Lord, that there would be peace, oh God. We pray right now, Lord, for a covering, God, over those innocent people. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord, for our nation in this time. God, we pray, Lord, the nations around this world that right now are being stirred into a place of conflict. Uh, in Jesus' name, God, that you would move, Lord, and that your will would be accomplished. And Lord, we pray that even through this, all that is going on, that God, revival would come to the church in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Amen. As I stated earlier, we are going to, on Sunday, amen, Pastor McLaughlin is going to be ministering. And uh, earlier this year, I think it was back in April, he preached for us. And it wasn't too long before, or too much before that that he spoke on a Wednesday night. And Claire, I don't know if you can leave because then I don't know what, what carrot we had to dangle for Brother McLaughlin to come back. Uh, but I, we're just getting spoiled by his ministry. And uh, we're going to be blessed on Sunday. Amen. Amen. People are hungry. How many of you believe that? People are hungry. Amen. Even, even heathens, people that have no idea of God, amen, are, are recognizing what's going on in our world. And I believe that there are people whose hearts are open right now, not just in the church, but in the world, there's people right now that recognize something is happening. There's a shift that is taking place. And we need, we need to capitalize on that. Amen. Look for opportunities to witness. Look for opportunities to invite people. Amen. The church. Because what they're looking for, the answer is here. Amen. Amen. I know Brother McLaughlin just, um, I think I saw today, released a book. I think he's going to have it for, for sale here on Sunday, Lead Yourself Well. How many of you want to do that? Amen. I found the hardest person to lead. Amen. If you thought you were the hardest person in this church for me to lead, you were wrong. By far, the hardest person in this church for me to lead is myself. Amen. And I found if you can lead yourself well, you can probably lead others well as well. Amen. So we'll look forward to that book. If you have copies tonight, we can, we can put them out there tonight if you'd like. All right. But they'll be here Sunday, fresh off the press. Amen. Amen. So we'll look forward to that on uh, Sunday morning. Amen. If you would turn with me in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 12, we are still endeavoring to make it through the book of Acts. Amen. Pastor McLaughlin, I don't know how it goes for you when you start to make your way through a book of the Bible. We started off the year saying we were going to work through the book of Acts this year, and we started a stanza at a time, and we decided pretty quickly that was not a good way to... Amen. I know you, you, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, but you'll never get through the elephant if you don't take a couple bites. And so we, we started attacking it one chapter at a time. We're finally to Acts chapter 12. We still gotta, we're not going to do it in this year. It's just not going to happen. But, but here we are, Acts 12. We'll read the first three verses, and then you could be seated. Amen. The Bible says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and because Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And the Bible says, Then were the days of unleavened bread. Amen. The Lord bless you. Amen. We're going to kind of begin tonight as we look at Acts chapter 12 with just a holistic look at this chapter 
of the book of Acts. And so if we kind of take a look at this chapter, uh, preceding this, leading up to it, the church has been growing its influence, its impact uh, by leaps and bounds. Amen. Luke has uh, just been recording one incredible breakthrough. Hold on one second. My phone is playing a church service for me right now. Somebody else's church service, and I did not ask for it to. Amen. That's, a, that's the way you preach good sermons. You listen to a preacher preach them, and as he's preaching, you, you take credit for it. All right. The church has been growing by leaps and bounds, uh, its influence, its impact. And Luke has just been recording one incredible breakthrough and marvelous conversion after another. Uh, so if we kind of follow that progression, 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost. The salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, his conversion. The Gentile Cornelius and all of his household. And then, of course, last week we talked in, in Acts 11, the mixed crowd at Antioch, right? We see Jews and Gentiles, probably predominantly Gentiles, uh, there at Antioch that we see salvation coming to them. What Luke is recording is more than just a revival of addition or even multiplication, but it is a revival of exponential increase and growth as doors are being opened to entire cultures and new demographics of people. So it's not just a, a, a revival that is, or the growth is not just spreading from one person to person, but as John Stott says in his commentary, the word of God is spreading in concentric circles. So if we can, it's not just kind of spreading, you know, like, like a virus might spread from one person to the next. Certainly we want know that, that individual growth, but, but it's bigger than that. There's concentric circles because uh, when, when the gospel there at the, the day of Pentecost, that's a, 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 the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that starts at the epicenter, the core. But then when the Ethiopian eunuch, amen, when, when revelation comes and he is baptized, that's a whole new demographic of people, a whole new culture of people that the gospel is now being opened up to. And then Saul of Tarsus, right? This man who used to persecute the church. And, and now we're about to see that through Saul, there's going to be even greater influence and impact that comes. And certainly Cornelius and his household, that now salvation comes to the Gentiles. And so we're not just seeing addition, but we're seeing these concentric circles as the gospel is making these ripple waves of, of growth that are taking place. Amen. In the next chapter, Luke chapter 13, Luke will describe that next great, uh, great leap forward. Right? We're, so we've, the last one that we saw is this revival that takes Antioch. This, again, this great leap of, of the impact and the influence of the gospel. And then again in Luke chapter 13, Luke describes in that chapter... Uh, the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go, and they're going to go on the first missionary journey. And so that's another concentric circle of impact and influence that the Word is about to have. But in between that, Luke shares what can only be described as a great setback for the church. Amen. Have you know the enemy just wants to disrupt momentum? Amen. Whether that's in your personal walk with God, whether that's in your family, whether that's Certainly on the church level, amen, organization level, the enemy wants to disrupt momentum, amen. And so the enemy will flex his muscles every once in a while, amen. Uh, John Michael was telling me earlier that he had, a, uh, one of, he had a, a lung issue recently, and we were praying for him. I think he was making light of it, but he said he lifted so heavy in the gym that one of his lungs deflated, all right. So every once in a while, the devil will, will get in the gym and flex his muscles a little bit, 
and, and try to and, and disrupt momentum. And we've seen that even in the local church. I wasn't calling you the devil there. I was just saying. The parallel was the gym, not you and the devil. Amen. Brother McLaughlin, I think, had a little fun with that one. All right. John Michael won't be here Sunday because I called him the devil. But the enemy wants to cause distraction. The enemy wants to try to bring setback right in the middle of the momentum. How many of you are thankful five baptized on Sunday in Jesus' name? Amen. Two filled with the Holy Ghost on Sunday. Amen. We thank God for that. Amen. The Sunday before that, four baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few weeks before that, six baptized on a Sunday morning. Those are, that's not just ones and twos. Those are concentric circles of growth and revival that God has given to the church. And so we shouldn't think it's strange Then, right in the middle of that, right a few weeks ago, the enemy showed up. The enemy brought distraction to the church. And if we think that's the last we're going to see of it, we would be mistaken because that's the only hope the enemy has of stopping the church is getting us distracted from our mission. Amen. And so at the beginning of Acts chapter uh, 12, the enemy is, not you, John Michael, the enemy is flexing. He's, He's trying to bring distraction. At the beginning of the book, or the beginning of this chapter, rather, it looks like the enemy is is successful in what he's doing. But the one thing I've always learned with God, don't quit reading. Amen. It it may look like in the beginning that the enemy is winning, but, amen, we used to sing a song that said, I read the back of the book and we win. Amen. So we can't just stop after verse 3. We've got to keep reading until the end of Acts chapter 12. Amen. Because what the enemy thought at the beginning was going to be his victory we'll see at the end of Acts chapter 12 was actually going to be his demise. Amen. So Luke is sharing in between these concentric circles of impact and influence. He begins to write about what can only be described as great setback. And this narrative between the revival that we saw at Antioch in Acts 11 and the first missionary journey that will take place in Acts 13 forms the 12th chapter and it can be divided into two main topics. The first of those is the death of James and the Apostle Peter's imprisonment. Amen. I I think we would all agree those are setbacks. Amen. The church certainly must have felt like that. Perhaps up until that time, it looked like there was kind of a divine covering over the 12 apostles. Like maybe they they were the untouchables. That nothing was going to get to them. But now they watch as in, in just a short window of time, James is killed, probably when, when it says he was uh, killed, uh, uh, death came to him by the sword, probably means he was beheaded. And, and so they watch as this great apostle that they probably believe that these, these are our invincible leaders that are going to lead us into the, the expansion of the kingdom of God. And then they watch as in, in just a few days' time, James is beheaded and then Simon Peter is in prison. The second part of that uh, division of, of Acts chapter 12 would be Herod's death. And so I want to look at it from within these two different uh, topics that I find at least four different contrasts that bring out the tension that we find in in chapter 12. Between these two concentric circles, there's tension that takes place. And I believe that there's four uh, contrasts that we can find in Acts chapter 12 that I think have paralleled into our lives. The first of those, we're going to read again Acts chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. And I would contrast this as hungry people and hostile government. 
Amen. Hungry people, those are the contrasts. You find hungry people, but you find a, a hostile environment that is being implemented by the government that is in place. So it says, at about that time, Herod the king, that would be the government, stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, it's talking about politics, right? Politically, he saw that what he was doing gained the favor of the Jewish people. And so he proceeded further to take Peter also. And then were the days of feast unleavened bread. So we find a contrast that there are hungry people, but there is a hostile government. And if we look only at the first three verses, we can take on a pessimistic perspective that nobody wants the gospel. Amen. Have you know governments kind of have a tendency through the decisions that they make that kind of puts a, a shadow over the entire country by decisions that are made? Amen. That's why all the time when I travel, people are like, well, you live close to Washington, D.C., and they kind of apologize to me, right, because we're close to the epicenter of uh, decisions. I will just call them decisions. I might, corruption might be another word, but decisions that are being made. All right, I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. I think they're all corrupt. All right? But, but this, this hostile government that is in place, and if we look only at the first three verses, we can get this perspective. Well, nobody wants Jesus. Nobody wants the gospel. Why? Because the Bible says, amen, that, that Herod stretched forth his hand and began to vex the church. He kills James with the sword, and then... He saw that it pleased the Jews, and so he takes Peter into custody. Herod's motivation for killing James and imprisoning Peter was 100% political. He was trying to gain political favor because I guess an election was coming up for them like it is for us as well. And all kinds of shenanigans start happening when the election comes up. And we might believe that because the popular vote in Jerusalem was in alignment with the persecution of the apostles, that we could say, well, nobody wants the gospel because in Jerusalem there is an environment, there's a culture where the Jews are cheering for the, the, the persecution of the apostles, then nobody wants the gospel. However, I would tell you they can't be further from the truth, amen, that just because political culture says nobody wants the gospel, amen, I know the media today would tell you that nobody wants Jesus and nobody wants morality and nobody wants truth, amen, but I still come today to tell you it could not be further from the truth. Amen. Let us not forget, I know in Jerusalem everybody might be on the side of Herod, amen, taking the sword to James and, and arresting Peter, but let us not forget it was only two chapters before that salvation had come to the Gentiles, and it was only one chapter previous, amen, that all of Antioch, the gospel filled all of Antioch, amen, because why? Because there are people that are hungry. Amen. And and one chapter after this, Paul and Barnabas, I, I read in Acts chapter 13, verse 44. Somebody read that. Let's go old school. Somebody read Acts 13, 44. This is one chapter further. Brother James, you're up, standing up. Read that for me. Yes, sir. Almost the whole city. Don't let the environment in Jerusalem 
amen, the political environment of Herod and all the people that are voting for Herod tell you that nobody wants the gospel because the next chapter, Paul and Barnabas go into a community that's never seen or heard the gospel before, and the Bible says almost the whole city showed up to hear them preach the gospel. Amen. I don't care what the political environment tells you. I don't care what media tells you. What I'm here today to tell you is that people are hungry for the gospel. Amen. We are witnessing, unfolding before us in the hour that we live in, our government and other governments throughout this world are becoming more and more hostile toward the gospel. I don't know how all what's going on in our world right now is going to play out, but I, can, I just have this feeling that it's going to turn the church into the bad guy. I don't know how, but I just have that feeling. Amen. COVID did the same thing. It turned the church into the bad guy. Amen. I don't know who was in charge of all that. I believe hell was at the bottom of it all. Amen. But what's getting ready to happen, I believe the church is getting ready to be turned into the bad guy. And the enemy is going to create this illusion and this, this kind of uh, this, this, uh, you know, outlook that nobody wants the gospel and the church. Uh, nobody wants what the church has to offer. And so the church is going to have to make up in our mind right now that even if the government becomes hostile toward the church, uh, amen, that we've got to understand that people are still hungry for the gospel. Say, well, pastor, what if, the, what if the government comes and tells us we can't preach? Well, let me tell you, there's one authority in the, the, this world that we are subject to that is above the government, and that's the word of God. Amen. Amen. If the government comes in here and tells us we've got to lock the doors and we can't preach the gospel, I'm going to tell you we are subject to the word of God, not to government. Amen. But you can't wait until the doors are locked to make that decision. You got to make that decision now. You got to make up your mind right now that before I'm a United States citizen, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. That I'm not going to stop preaching the gospel. I'm not going to stop declaring the word because I don't know what Washington, D.C. says, but what I do know is that there are hungry people in this community. Five baptized on Sunday. Why? Because there's hungry people. Four baptized the Sunday before. Why? Because there's hungry people. I believe that one of the hidden traps of social media, and I know there's all kinds of them, but I think the underlying, maybe the most dangerous of all of the underlying dangers of social media is that ideologies that are being propagated by humanistic governments begin to intimidate what they would consider extreme beliefs. Amen. If they say that Christianity is extreme, that oneness, that doctrine is extreme, that holiness is extreme, that what we do now that everybody's in this social media think tank, that, that we don't want to be abnormal. And so instead of us expressing, amen, what the word of God says, instead of expressing truth, we begin to dumb down what we believe. We begin to believe that homosexuality is not that big of a deal. Listen, I'm talking about in the church. Some of you get offended when I preach against homosexuality. Why? Because, you, because you've been marginalized by social media. That's what happened. Social media came in, and now you, oh, but we want to be careful, Pastor. I got friends and followers that are of that life. Hey, I'm not against your friends. They need to come and get Jesus Christ. Jesus can deliver them. I'm not talking about hating people. I'm telling you, though, that homosexuality is still a sin, and we are not going to be marginalized. 
We're not going to lose our voice. We were not called to conform. We were called to be transformed. We were called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so the church is going to need to resolve in this hour, like never before, to reach hungry people in spite of hostile government. Amen. Because just because there's a government that may be hostile toward Christianity, amen, Jesus Christ is still what hungry people need. And we're not going to bow. We're not going to cave. We're not going to give in. Amen. And I know, Pastor, down in Texas, amen, you guys are still strong and patriotic. I'm telling you, even right here in Maryland, we're not going to cave. Amen. We're not going to cave to hostile government. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to preach the truth. Amen. The second major contrast that I find we read in Acts chapter 4. I'm, I'm sorry, it's still Acts 12. I can't just skip chapters on you. Acts 12 beginning with verse 4. That's where I got the 4 from. And we're going to read down through verse 11. And when he had apprehended him, speaking of Simon Peter, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayed, I'm sorry, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two, uh, bound with two chains. The keepers before the doors kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. The chains fell off from his hands. The angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast, off thy, or, Cast thy garments about thee and follow me. Verse 9, he went out followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were, put, uh, when they were past the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Verse 11, and when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the deception of the people of the Jews. Now, here's the second contrast I want to bring. I want to, first of all, I want to read Acts 12 and 2 where it says, And Herod killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And I want to contrast that with Acts chapter 12, verse 11, when Peter said, when Peter came to himself and said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me. Here's the contrast. James was killed, but Peter was delivered. Amen. Amen. This is one of the greatest tests you're going to have of your faith is whether or not you can trust God. Amen. Even commentaries can't give you a good reason why, why James died and Peter lived. The commentaries can't give us a good reason why James died because there's places that we come to in our lives where we're not going to have a good reason. Amen. That we can't figure out why God did what he did. We can't figure out why that person was healed and that person died of their disease. Why we can't figure out why that person would raised up and that person remain. We can't figure it out. But I'm going to tell you, it's the test of your faith. It's the bedrock of a walk with God. It's the one thing that if you've got it right, the enemy can't penetrate. It's the one thing that if you've got it right, there's nothing the enemy can do that will take you out. It's the one thing that if you've got it right, no matter what you go through, you're going to make it through. Amen? That no matter what you go through, the enemy's not going to be able to shake you. 
But it's also the one thing that if you don't got it right, that the enemy is going to bring confusion. The enemy is going to start bringing questions into your mind and you're going to begin to question, why, God, why didn't you do what I needed you to do? Why did they get healed? But my, why, why did that person get healed? But this person died. Why was that person blessed? But it seems like that person struggled with everything they got in life. Amen. Can I tell you, this is perhaps the greatest test of our faith is learning to trust the sovereignty of God. I don't know why James died and Peter lived, but what I do know is I trust God that he is sovereign. I can't tell you why that person was healed and that person wasn't, but what I can tell you is that I trust the sovereignty of God. Listen, some of you have struggled in your walk with God because of the issue I'm talking about right now. Because your trust level, your, your faith got shaken, but you haven't come to the place where you said, you know what? I, like Job said, he gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. God, if you bless me, I'm still going to praise you. If you curse me, if you take everything I've got, I'm still going to praise you. Hey, if you can settle that, if you can settle that in your spirit, I don't know why James died and Peter lived, but what I do know is God is good. What I do know is God is in control. What I do know is that I, I choose to trust him. I wonder if we could raise our hands right now. Come on, trust. That, that is the bedrock of faith. Come on, there, there's going to be times when James dies and Peter lives. Uh, there's going to be times when you pray and the answer is no and somebody else got a yes. Uh, amen. There's going to be times when you ask for a healing and you didn't get it, but somebody across the church did, and it's going to shake you. Uh, but you've got to settle it in your spirit that I trust the sovereignty of God. And if you settle that, I'm going to tell you, if you settle that in your spirit that I trust the sovereignty of God. The enemy can't do anything to you. I, I believe that we can look at what God is doing in the lives of, the, of others around us to build our faith. We sing it. You know? If he did it before, he can do it again. right? If he did it for you, he can do it for me. And I believe that we can apply that principle. Absolutely, when I'm praying, I'll look at other people that God has blessed. And I'll, I'll use that to build my faith, that God, you did it for them. I believe you can do it for me. But, but, that, but, but, but my faith has got to be stronger than that, that God, you did it for them. But even if you don't do it for me, it's okay. God, you did it for them. You did it before. But if you never do it again, it's okay. I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to praise you. Though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Bible study. I got to remember that. I'm getting into preacher mode. Third major contrast. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. And this is a contrast. How many of you ever been a contradiction of your own self? Amen. Well, I have been. You say one thing and do another. Amen. You think one way one day and you change your mind the next day. Acts 12 and 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Down to verse 12, and when he had considered the things, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. There's the church still praying. Peter knocks on the door of the gate. A damsel come to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. That doesn't sound too glad to me. She left him standing outside. 
but ran in and told how Peter stood at the gate. And they said unto her, you're crazy, you're mad. She constantly confirmed that it was so. Then said they, it's his angel. Man, people will go into the supernatural to explain why God didn't answer. But Peter continued knocking. Peter's like, hey, come on, guys, you've been praying for this. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Here's the contradiction here. The church has faith to pray. We contrast that, though, with the church that doesn't have a faith to receive the answer. Amen. The church has faith to pray for God to do it, but they don't have faith to believe that God actually did it. Amen. What a contradiction. I don't want to be that kind of a church. I do want to. Hey, that's great. Amen. We need churches in this day that have faith to pray when it looks impossible. How many churches would have skipped prayer meeting when they heard that James had been executed? Oh, and by the way, Herod's killing Christians. Well, let's get all a bunch of Christians together. That doesn't sound good. How about we do this one virtual? Let's do this one through Zoom tonight. That's a great time for a Zoom call right there. Is when James has been beheaded and now Herod's looking for Christians to kill. I think I'm Zooming that one, right? But no, they all, hey, that's great faith. They all came together. That's courage. Amen. That's awesome that they came together and they're all praying. Amen. Regardless of how hopeless the situation was, hey, they they knew that James had just been executed, and the news is now Simon has been taken by Herod as well. They could have just written it off and said, you know what, it's a hopeless situation. Herod's on a killing spree. He's going to kill Simon just like he did James, but that's not what they did. They got together, and they had faith, and they began to pray, and thank God for a praying church. We need praying churches in this hour. Amen. We need living hope. We need. I'm just telling you what's happening over in the Middle East right now ain't just going to stay in the Middle East. All right? It never does. Those wars have impact all across the globe and, and more so today probably than ever before. We can either wait until it gets on our soil and then be reactive and come and pray or we can get a hold of God right now and begin to pray. I don't want to be reactive. I don't want to have to pray because terrorism has come to the streets of of the USA. I don't want to wait for that. I believe that the prayers of the church can turn away things, amen, that the enemy intended. I believe that we can pray and we can turn the tide of things. And here's the problem. Some of you don't believe in it, so you're going to be reactionary. Well, pastor, you're getting a little carried away right there. Well, we'll see. In fact, I hope we don't see because I hope a church rises up and we begin to pray. Amen, we begin to take authority over these things that are going on in our world right now. Amen, we need a praying church. They had faith to pray, but when, but when the answer came knocking on the door, Rhoda comes knocking on the door, and these same people that had enough faith to get together when Herod had served notice that he's killing Christians, that he's out to get the church, they had faith enough to come together, but now the answer to what they've been praying for is knocking on the door, and they don't have enough faith to open the door and let the answer in. Rhoda recognized the voice, and she got so excited that she wouldn't let him in. She was so excited that she left the miracle standing outside. Amen. I believe this. I believe some things have been prophesied over this church in the last month. God is going to bless some of you financially. I believe that. God, God's, he's not going to send a millionaire. He's going to make some of you millionaires. Pastor, you can't say that. I'm going to say it again. He's going to make some of you millionaires. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. Amen. It's the will of God that we build phase two so we can make room for more souls. Amen. It's the will of God. Amen. 
But some of you, if you're not careful, you can get so glad that when the miracle shows up, you don't open the door and let it in the church. Amen. You're going to get so excited about your miracle that you're going to start dancing around that new boat and that new RV. Amen. That new four by, side by side. You're, and I'm not against any of that. Go get all of that. But don't forget where you prayed for that miracle was in the church. And that when God starts blessing you, you need to open the door and let the miracle in. Don't get so excited that you leave the miracle standing at the gate. But I believe even right now we need to start preparing that when the miracle shows up, we're going to open the door and we're going to let it in. Now, I've never been more confident that I'll get an amen than I am with what I'm about to say. How many of you would be willing for you to be the one God blesses? It's unanimous. Everybody, hey. And I'm praying God will do it. I'm praying God will bless some of you with raises on your jobs that weren't even possible for you to get. Amen. God is going to bless some of you with miracles. You don't even know how that miracle found you. But I'm asking you, please don't have enough faith to pray for it, but not enough faith to let it in the door. Amen. When the miracle comes, God, I'm going to open the door and I'm going to let the miracle in. Amen. Financial miracles. Healing miracles, deliverance miracles. I want us to settle it in our mind right now. We're going to open the door when the miracle comes. What good does it do if we get together week after week after week after week praying that God will do it? Only when God does it, we don't accept it. Last one. Fourth major contrast. In Acts chapter 12, we're going to read verse 20 through 25. Acts 12 20 through 25, and Herod was highly displeased. This is the same Herod that at the beginning thought he was the man. He's like, I'm gonna, I'll just execute whoever I want to execute because I'm Herod. I've got power and I've got authority. And if I say nobody wants God, then nobody wants God. And he, he thought he was setting the climate for what was going to happen. He was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him and having made Blastus, cool name, Parents, just saying, that's a pretty cool name. The kings, Eric, I don't know what you guys are planning, but Blastus is a pretty cool one. What's that translate to even? Does that, is there a translation for that? <laughs> All right. All right, pretty similar. The king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. So what's happening? The people of Tyre and Sidon, Herod's got all the resources that they need, but Herod's not happy with them. And so the Bible says, On a day Herod sat arrayed in royal apparel and sat on his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout. This is Flattery 101. They gave a shout saying, It is the voice of God and not a man. What were they? they were buttering him up because they needed resources. And so Herod gets up there waxing eloquent, and they're like, Oh, he's a God, not a man. I don't think they meant it. They were just saying, we, we will tell you whatever you want to hear for you to release the resources into our lives. But the Bible, here's the mistake. The Bible says immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten up of worms and gave up the ghost. Amen. And that, that's, that's how that one ends. Didn't start that way, did it? Herod thought he was the man. I'm in control. I'll, I'll just snatch James up and behead him. I'll take Peter and imprison him. I'll shut this revival down myself. And all it took was God, 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 and he, God just put, I don't know how, where the worms came from. Worms. Worms just devoured this man as he's standing there. Listen, flesh was not created to handle the glory that belongs to God. 
Amen. Flesh was, I don't, I'm not talking about unsaved flesh. I'm talking about flesh. Saved flesh, unsaved flesh, preacher flesh. Amen. Musician flesh, it don't matter. Flesh was not made to handle glory. You start getting a little fame, you get a little fortune that goes, amen, and if you don't give that to God, if you don't turn around and say, God, you're the blessing, amen, you're the one that gave me this talent, you're the one that gave me this ability, God, I'm going to be a steward and give you the glory for this. Amen. You ain't no flesh in this room. Well, I'm man enough to handle it. No, you're not. No, nobody is. The Bible says no flesh should glory in his presence. Flesh was not created. That's why God did not give me James Wilson's voice. Probably a lot of other reasons too, but that's the one reason. He said, because Jason Satan, you couldn't handle it if you could sing like James Wilson. All right? You can't handle it. There, there's things God knows I cannot handle, and so he doesn't give me the blessings in those areas. Amen. You want God to bless you more? Prove to him that he can trust you with what he's already given you. God, I want to be a millionaire, but you're not paying tithes on 100000 a year. God ain't going to bless you with a million if you can't be faithful with 100000 Come on, if you, want, if you want to prove that God to God that you can handle the blessing, you got to prove to him that you can handle what he's already given you. We were created for one reason. We were created to give God glory. That's why he made you and me. And the end result is always the same when we try to hold on to that glory for ourselves. Look in the book of Daniel what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he started looking out over the kingdom. And he said, look at all of this that I have made. Look at all of this that I have put together. And the next time you see Nebuchadnezzar, he's crawling around the field chewing grass like a cow. Because, why? Because flesh cannot handle glory. It will make you lose your mind. Herod is absolutely eaten by worms and he dies. Why? Because he didn't give the glory to God. To begin the chapter, Herod thought he was going to put an end to the church. He thought he was going to trouble the church. He thought, I'm going to put an end to this. I'll just take Simon Peter. I'll take James, I'll take these men that were close to Jesus, I'll execute them, and we'll shut this revival down. Here's the contrast, though. By the time these verses are over, Herod is dead, but the next verse says that, that, the, that the word multiplied and the word grew, amen, because Herod died, but the word kept marching on, amen. I want you to know that, 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 that the Herod may come, that, that the kingdoms of this world may come, and they may try to shut down what God is doing in this community, but I'm going to tell you that the devil has never been able to. He will never be able to stop what God is doing. Let me tell you what's going to happen in Southern Maryland. The word is going to grow, and the word is going to multiply amen I don't care who rises up whether it's from Washington DC or from somewhere in the Middle East if they try to stop what God is doing the end result is they will be devoured by worms but the word of God is going to grow and the word of God is going to multiply how many governments and political leaders have risen come and gone, thought they would overshadow and outshine Jesus Christ, and now they're dead and gone, but the word still grows and multiplies. 57 years ago, star singer and musician for the Beatles, John Lennon stated, Christianity will go. It will vanish and it will shrink. He concluded and said, we are more popular than Jesus. I think if I polled the majority of you in this room, probably many of you don't even know who John Lennon is. 
I mean, you may have heard the name, but you don't really even know who he is. Probably another generation from now, it'll be even less. And a few generations of that, nobody will know who the guy was. I'm going to tell you, Jesus, I'm going to tell you a couple generations from now, if we're still on this earth, one name that's still going to be preached is the name of Jesus. It's still going to grow. It's still going to multiply. Because the enemy cannot stop the word of God from growing. The enemy cannot stop the church from multiplying. The enemy cannot stop revival. And I don't care what's going on in the Middle East. I'm going to tell you, God is about to bring a revival to our community. God is getting ready to bring a revival to this city. I wonder if we could stand right now and let's thank God for the revival that's coming. I want you right now to prepare yourself, Lord, when the miracle comes. I'm going to open the door. Sister Linda, when God brings that financial blessing, Pastor, I don't know where it's coming from. I didn't put my resume out anymore. I'm going to tell you, God can bless you without you even looking for the blessing. But I'm going to tell you who's God's going to bless in this church. People that he knows will open the door. People that he knows when he blesses you, the gate swings open. Come on in, miracle. Come on in, miracle. Pastor's been saying for a while we were going to build phase two, so miracle, you come on in here. I know that miracle didn't just happen. It's the result of prayers that I've been praying. So when God, op- when God sends my miracle, I'm going to open the gate and let that miracle in. I wonder, is there anybody out there that would raise your hand and say, I'll open up the gate. Come on, I'll open up the gate. I'll let the miracle in. Come on, revival is going to come to this community, and it's going to come through somebody. I wonder if we could come and gather around this altar. We're going to pray together before we dismiss. Acts 12, sandwiched between the revival at Antioch and the first missionary trip, and there's conflict in between. But even in conflict, God wins. Come on, even in conflict. Starts out, looks like Herod's got the final say, but by the time that chapter's over, Jesus wins again. And I know right now, living hope, I know there's some tension. I know we're going through some tough times. Tell you what, before this chapter's over, Jesus wins. Before this chapter's over, Simon Peter's going to knock at the gate. Come on, Junior, I believe it. God's going to bless you. I believe that. Why? Because God knows he can trust you to open the gate. Brother Barry, God can trust you to open the gate. Come on, God can trust somebody in this building. Khadijah, God can trust you. Brother Silvati, God can trust you. Brother Alberti, God can trust you. Hallelujah. So we lift hands together right now. God, and regardless of the hostile environment that, govern, that governments of our world today, it seems like are, are joining together, God, to, to, to work to snuff out faith in Jesus Christ. God, to snuff out Christianity. But Lord, regardless of what hostile governments may say, I know that there are still hungry people. There are hungry people in Southern Maryland. God, there are hungry people in Great Mills. There are hungry people in Lexington Park. There are hungry people in California. There are hungry people that work in the cubicle next to you. There are hungry people that will work in the, at the, the register at the grocery store that you shop in. They're hungry. Don't let hostile governments create an environment. Don't let them give you the perception that nobody wants Jesus. They want Jesus now more than they've ever wanted him. So here's what I want us to do. I don't want us to pray tonight for a financial miracle. That church got together and they prayed because a person was in prison. And I want us to pray right now because all throughout this city there are people that are imprisoned. And Sunday when they come staggering in, Sunday when they come,
with all the marks of this world on them. I pray we'll open the gate and say, you're the answer to our prayer. I want us to pray right now all around this community. There are people in prisons, people in prisons of addiction. Thank God for our Psalms 40 ministry. Thank you for what you all are doing. But this isn't just up to them. I want us to pray, God, open up the prison doors. Right now, there's somebody that's bound by chains, and they've got quaternions of soldiers surrounding them. It looks hopeless for them. It looks like there's no way out for them. But God, the church is going to pray for them without ceasing. Oh, God, we're going to pray right now that you would send an angel to where they are. God, and let the chains fall by their side. Let them rise up in that place of captivity and let them find their way to a praying church. Let them find their way to a church that's been praying for them. And when they come and they knock on the door, God, we're going to open up the door and let them in. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.